Welcome to episode eight of Origins Unknown Podcast. My name's Claire Huntington. And I'm Chris Holt. This week, we interviewed Nicole, an adoptee that has one of the most intricate family relationships that we have had on our podcast thus far. I literally had to write it all down just to keep it straight. Nicole offered us a unique insight into her family adoption story from the vantage point of a mental health care provider. She's also the first adoptee that has used a searcher or a private investigator on our podcast. As adoptees, we often feel like we have to search alone. And I, for one, am excited to explore searchers and private investigators as an option. Transnational adoptees like myself have much more of an uphill battle when it comes to finding our origins unknown. Access to readily available information is something that I have to admit I've taken for granted. And speaking with Nicole has been one of my favorite experiences on this podcast so far. So we are so excited to bring you this episode and introduce Nicole and her story. Enjoy. Welcome to Origins Unknown Podcast. My name is Claire Huntington. And I'm Chris Holt. And we have with us Nicole Shaw. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you here. So, Nicole, let us know where you're from. I am from a really small town named uh, Brea. <laughs> so, it's wow. in Southern California, Orange County, Brea, California. Um, I like to tell people it's next to Disneyland. So, you know. Is it? Is it actually, though? It's like maybe 20 minutes. Brea is like maybe the northernmost city in Orange County. So it's not quite close enough to the beach to like go to the beach every day, but it's close enough to just drive, you know. So we're going to your house for Christmas so that I can go to Disneyland for Christmas. (laughs) I, you know, I miss Disneyland so much. So we said that we wanted to go to Disneyland and then um, for, I think, like next year, we have a bucket list of places we want to go in the state. So we'll put that on the Origins Unknown podcast tour. When the world opens up, we can go and visit all of our adoptees. Yes. I yeah, love that'd it. be awesome. Perfect. All right. Well, um, Nicole, I guess we can just start with you just kind of telling us about you and your story. Gosh, whew, where do I start? Um, <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> we'll start right yeah. the beginning. We can start in Brea, California. Um, you know, people often ask, like, did you know you were always adopted? And I did, actually. So I don't remember any distinct conversation that I sat down with my parents and had, but I always knew that I was adopted. Um, and so just growing up in the 80s and 90s in a predominantly white community, um, we were the only black family, you know, on the street. And I went to an all white school for the most part, like my sisters and brothers um, who are adopted as well. So we've got kind of a interesting family. My sister, who I call my sister, she's not my biological sister. She's actually my mom's biological niece. Okay. So, so um, they adopted her. And then my brother is an adoptee as well. Um, And he doesn't know his family kind of same. So he's kind of the same as me in that regard, just like he was adopted. Um, And then I have an older brother who um, is from my dad's first marriage. So he's my stepbrother, technically. And then later on in life, um, maybe when I was in... I don't know. I was in high school. My parents adopted my sister's biological brother. Uh, So we 
Yeah, okay. so we have okay. quite the mixed up little family there. So you're the biological niece? Yes. So the, the biological niece's brother. But he didn't come until later. Um, so there was so, two yeah. closed adoptions and then yes. so far two in-family adoptions. Okay. Yes. So for our users who are just tuning into this episode, a closed adoption, predominantly adoptees cannot access their birth records and don't have any identifying information. In-family adoptions are were more common in the 80s and 90s. It was when a family member would adopt adopt a child to keep them in the family and oftentimes pretend. So oftentimes you'd be raised as a sister to your birth mother and then wouldn't know. So just to, we have a lot of non-adoptees as our user yeah. listener group. So we try to make it accessible. That makes sense. And okay, so there's five, all... five total kids? Yes. Okay, so there's cool. five total kids. Although my Devin... He didn't come along until much later. So okay. he didn't really like necessarily grow up with us. Got it, got it, got it. So um, <clears throat> we grew up in this really strict household. I mean, we're in an affluent um, community in Orange County. My dad played in the NFL. Oh. Um, and, <laughs> and my mom was just a strict, you know, Southern belle. She was from like deep, deep Georgia. And my dad is from Texas. So, um, and his family was more affluent, had their own business in, in Orange County. Um, I mean, they all went to college, which was very different for black, you know, black people back then um, and black families. And they're just, they, I think they've all got like master's degrees. Like they're very, oh, wow. you know, um, so it was just, it was, you know, the way my family was, um, you know, you had to just maintain a certain look all the time. And part of that look was not, you know, letting people know that you were adopted. It was like, don't talk about it. Don't, um, you know, people, that's our family business. And so that, that was pretty difficult growing up. Um, and I didn't understand, right? Like who, who can understand that? Like what, what, What's the big deal? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think maybe like, you know, 80s and 90s, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, like even for, with my family, it was obvious just because my parents are white and I'm Asian. So that yeah. was just an obvious conversation. But if you're the same ethnicity, then yeah, I mean, maybe it's just, again, sometimes, you know, and I'm not speaking for your parents, but like there are insecurities, I think, with all adoptive parents. Um, and I think maybe the, the social pressures of the, I guess, demographic society that you were in with being in an affluent area, you know, you want to maintain appearance, you know, and, and I, I, I get that because I grew up in that type of, I mean, Claire and I, we, we both all, I guess all of us grew up into well-to-do families. So it is very much about appearance and, and what you put forth to anyone, you know, so I and I think in terms of that. like Chris, like not being like in a like trans ethnic um, adoption, you don't have that option as a adoptive mother. And then just the the demographic, like you said, and the era of viewing the adoptive mother as like defective or, you know, like just like that pressure. And so here you are as the child and it's nobody's fault. However, we are forced to rewrite our story. And I oftentimes listen to adoptive parents talking about, oh, it's weird to hear, you know, you talking about your family's story. And I'm, and I kind of correct them. I'm like, well, this is my story. 
you know, like I didn't choose, I didn't choose to be adopted. I didn't choose to get born. I didn't choose to be adopted. And I didn't choose to adhere to this societal norm of a Hallmark story of everything being perfect. And then me being a commodity that just slots right into your family, right? Like it's just, it's this thing that, that people don't understand how damaging it is to make a child feel guilty or like something is wrong with them. I remember when people would be, tell me, you know, oh, why are you sharing this? Like people who weren't in my family, it made me feel like this was something shameful, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, did you feel, did you feel weird and ashamed and conflicted? Like, did it have any sense of your identity? Say that shame is probably the most prominent theme that has reared its ugly head throughout my life. Like, I think when I talk to other adoptees, I feel like shame is like one of those emotions that, that is so congruent for all of us. Mm -hmm. And it's the shame that, you know, my adoptive mother couldn't have a baby. It's the shame of like, um, not being able to be myself or whoever that was like, here's one thing that would stick out is that my dad came from a very athletic family. So it was like, that was the, you needed to be an athlete and that was what you needed to do. And there was so many other things that like, I am, you know, like I'm creative. Like I, um, I remember wanting to be a dancer. Like I remember wanting to just be so many things. And because my adoptive parents hadn't worked this out within themselves, I had to conform to this idea of what they wanted me to be. And, mm-hmm. and that's also like denouncing everything, um, even cultural. Like my, um, my biological family is like straight Belizean and Jamaican. But oh, wow. I think like as, like as Black people, I just, I can speak for myself like culturally, you know, you just look Black. So there's, that's like a, can you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you yeah, just look yeah. black. And so you're just black. Like, yep. but when I found out I had all this rich culture, um, it was just, I couldn't, it, it was just so overwhelming. And, um, and it's yeah. also something I struggle with because do I, do I deserve it? Do I own it? Am I that? Like, yeah. you know, so yeah, it's yeah. How do you, a layer. How do you like justify the books? And yeah. I would just like to point out, if you're not watching on our YouTube channel, um, I would just like to point out that you just lit up when you talked about your, your culture and your history. And that's one of the issues that non-adoptees don't understand, especially if yeah. you are. So Chris has a, a luxury of knowing that he's from South Korea. That's one of the differences between our adoptive story. Whereas you and I, you know, there was that question mark and it's, it's especially me, like, I don't know, right? Like I have, I have no idea. And so it's that disconnect. You don't know your, your roots and like, and watching you right now, just talk about it and you start doing <laughs> hand moments and there's well, like a like, shoulder yeah, shimmy. Yeah, when you, when you, when you talk <laughs> about like countries like Jamaica and Korea, I think that they're, like you said, it's so, it's such a rich culture and mm-hmm. country and history and, and I totally empathize with that. It's like, I want to go back to Korea just to yeah. kind of immerse myself into that culture and, yeah. and, you know, kind of connect in a way that you and I and all of us that are adopted really can't do um, based on our circumstance. But it sounds like you were already set aside the adoption part. You were already kind of put into these limitations already mm-hmm. within your family structure, the place you were living and all those other things. Um so yeah, that's that's super fascinating. Yeah, and it was it was just, you know, I think growing up when I think about my mom and I think about 
just um, like whatever persona that they wanted to maintain. And it's just like, you know, don't, it was very much don't talk about it. So I grew up thinking like, you know, back to feeling shameful, like was something wrong with me? You know, did I do something wrong? And I felt so lost all the time, Mm -hmm. but it, but it was, um, but if I expressed any of that, then I wasn't able to talk about that. Like I wasn't able to even process that. So here I am as an adult, like having to process like all these huge emotions, you know? Well, yeah, it's these, these huge emotions that I think all of us are uh, kind of thrown at us at a very young age. And, And that's really the part of that trauma or that. I guess that complex that we all develop for the most part is that, you know, we're not mature enough at such a young age to understand the idea of yeah. adoption. Like it's just it's such so a so complex. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and it, so I'm I'm kind of curious though with your uh, adoptive brothers and sisters. Like, have you? I mean, maybe you couldn't talk to your parents about it at some degree, but did you ever talk to your siblings about it? Well, see, this is the funny thing is that actually just recently, me and my um, brother Eric. We just were able to connect to this because because he was kind of in the fog. You know, I don't know if you guys like that term or not, but I, I just feel like it's I like an just easy heard it. Throw out there. I, I really? just heard it like okay. a week ago. What? Someone said someone said you're still in the fog. And I was like, don't tell me where I'm at. Like, I got real defensive. I was like, who are you to tell me about my experience? Like, right. But I, I do realize that it is a a, 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 a like an actual term for you know, adoptees and stuff. Yeah, like just sort of like not, I think it's just like a blanketed term for, mm-hmm. for really not diving into your adoption. And so mm-hmm. you don't, there's so many of these complex pieces of it, but usually when people are in the fog, they just ignore it in, in some aspects or another. So my brother always had an interesting relationship with my adoptive mom, and we all have had different relationships in that way. And so recently, both him and I like have severed our relationship with her. So him and I have connected on that point. So Mm. we were able to talk about it now. But growing up, we never talked about it. We never talked about it because we were scared. Mm -hmm. You can't. You can't face it. Yeah. Like we were so afraid. And I think as kids, you start to, that's where a lot of codependency comes in, right? Like you start to figure out like, how do I take care of this adult's emotions? So it's all about not wanting to offend someone or not wanting to share this secret or whatever it is. And I'm just trying to live, you know? (laughs) And it's it's called uh, disorganized um, attachment theory. There's a really great YouTube that I will post to our um, Instagram page or within these notes. And it shows it's a cartoon and it's such a heartbreaking, illuminating cartoon of watching a child approach the person who's supposed to be giving them the care and attention and not getting that attention and keep coming back and going back and forth. And that ultimately just like affects you as a human being and like your relationships for the rest of your lives. Mm -hmm. And so it's this feeling of shame and not being able to express your culture and trying to survive. It's a survival tactic of you take your emotions and you like suppress them. And then as you become an adult, you learn not to speak out. And so it, it affects every aspect of your life and your development. Well, so these things that you wanted to do, like non-athletic things or art or dancer, right? You're not allowed to create your own identity. And us as adoptees, we often feel this sense of shame and need to, to conform because after, I don't know what it's like now, we'll have to check into it. But something that really bothers me is that after the home visits and after, you know, they identify that 
an adoptive family is a great adoptive family. That's where it stops. There was nobody checking in on me or you or a lot of the, like some of the actually horrible stories that we heard, there was nobody checking in on these adoptees. There's this assumption that every approved adopted home is good. And that's Mm -hmm. not the case. And we don't give kids the fortitude or the understanding or the support that if there's something wrong to speak out, I just, it just flabbergasts me. Not enough research or like done like on the, like the real effects of adoption. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I would go as far as to say that all adoptees struggle so much with like relationships, yes. you know, like, <laughs> hello, like attachment issues, like secure attachments, like, like trust. I mean, there's so many things yeah. that I think, again, congruently just all adoptees like suffer with. And a lot of it um, is, is just par for the court. Like it just comes with being adopted. Like you can have... Yeah not all adoptions are bad or not everyone yeah. had it the same experience. Like there's open adoptions that people have had and they, and they're insecure. They're securely attached to their adoptive parents. Um, however, I think so many of us struggle and then we, we um, wake up and we're like in our thirties and forties and we're like, why, what is going on? Like, why are these things still coming up? And then I'm like, Oh, I'm adopted. Yeah. But it does, you know what I'm yeah, because like, like, yeah, like yours in my conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that most adoptees don't want to view it. I mean, as much as it is this thing that is kind of always somehow on our mind, consciously or subconsciously, and we don't. I've never wanted to view it as like this crutch or something that's hindering me. But you know, like you said, I'm in my like late thirties, almost forty, and I'm just now like unsurfacing a lot of things that I just didn't realize were there. And then to kind of go back to your point about, you know, there's just not a lot of research done on the effects of adoption on an individual. But I also think that I don't think there's anything out there for adoptive parents to be quote unquote educated, you know, to say, Hey, look, this is the situation. And these are things you need, maybe need to be mindful of. I'm not, you know, it's not, not saying this is how you should raise your, raise your child, but just to have research to say, Hey, this shows that adoptees suffer from these types of things and to maybe help not completely erase them or cure them, but to help kind of give that person, all of us, a better platform to stand on when we're adults, because. Well, I always thought that I I posted this the other day, like adopted parents that are going to adopt, like y'all need to go to therapy first. That should be (laughs) a requirement before somebody goes, like tries to adopt some kids because it's a lot. <laughs> not not to boost Canada, but um, in order to adopt a child, you actually have to go through extensive courses. Now. Well, wasn't you have didn't, to learn, we, didn't we have right? that yeah. that pre-interview with the uh, the woman that does law for surrogacies, and she said that there's more psychological testing that needs to be done for people that are doing surrogacy than just pure adoption. Which to yeah. me, it just seems like, well, why isn't it for both? You know, yeah, and yeah, you're right. I think. Um, well, for us, like my friends, my friends tried to adopt here, and they had to go through extensive courses, home visits, therapy, and discussions. So there is, I'm not. It, it does differ place to place, but they had to go through things like, um, al- like alcohol and drug effects, like things that you know, if their child deals with that. So there are, like, you know, I think we're more speaking from like where we were adopted in our time period. I think that now there is as us adoptees become adults, it is our responsibility to continue discussing our issues and and being an advocate for future adoptees. There's certain things that Chris and I have encountered and that we faced just because of this podcast that we could have 
repressed for forever. And us going through these experiences and interviewing people like you and sharing our stories is going to be, you know, we are the generation that needs to protect the next generations. Mm -hmm. So creating resources and, and stuff like that. But even for you, Nicole, I think your, your, your family structure for sure. I mean, let's be honest, not many of us grow up with a professional football player as a father. I'm sure that was very intimidating, you know, and uh, you know that, I mean, anyone that knows any type of competitive athlete knows that that's a certain mindset that, you know, there are just certain ways you do things. And And my dad was in the military too. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) So it was very in line. Yeah. 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 Like it was, I mean, I love my parents, you know, they, I think that in my healing journey, I've learned to um, have a lot of compassion and empathy for people in general, and especially for my adoptive parents, just in the sense that they were only raising me from, you know, whatever wounds that they had and and hadn't probably resolved. And so Mm -hmm. I try to give them grace for that. Um, But nevertheless, it was not being able to, I remember my mom telling, like having a conversation with us, like, if you want to find your adoptive parents, then like, that's somehow like a slight on her, you know, and she, yeah, she just felt so strongly about it. So I used to fantasize like in my head, like, who are they? You know, where are they? What was your fantasy? We love to ask. That's one of the things we love to ask. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember I used to fantasize that, um, of course, like that they were like rich and they were uh, like actors, you know, because I always wanted to be like an actor. And so mm-hmm. um, it, I just always just thought about them like living in like Hollywood, you know, just because I live mm-hmm. close to Hollywood. And yeah, just I don't know. I just would think all kinds of wild things. But I was never able to say, you know, Mm-hmm. to say these are the feelings that I'm having yeah. um and then going to school like in those areas plus it was me and my dad looked alike <laughs> which mm-hmm. we don't yeah at all we only yeah, look yeah, alike yeah. because <laughs> we only look alike we only look alike because both of us have dark skin yeah. but we don't look alike at all so it would just I I remember like just carrying that feeling so much through um grade school like I don't you know not um, telling people. And then when we would kind of slip up, I guess, and tell people, and it would come back to my mom, like she would be so upset about it, mm-hmm. you know? So it, just it, panicked. And oh. yeah, like it just affected me so much. And, and like, um, I, I think from your, your adoptive mother's stamp, like stance, I, I can understand at a young age how that might be difficult to understand. But as you said, as you get older, you know, there is a level of like, you know, you can give someone a little benefit of the doubt just based on the fact that they were still kind of figuring it out too, you know? And, and I think it's, it's so challenging because there's so many moving pieces in all of this. And well, in hindsight, like my dad's, so there was my mom's side of the family and then my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family always accepted us. They Mm -hmm. loved us nothing no there was no differentiation between us and other cousins that we always felt very loved by them um never talked about adoption but there was just they just were always you could tell they just they loved us so very much and my dad's side of the family mm, they weren't as accepting yeah and so I think that the contentions that my mom had with them 
really oh. spilled over like into so she always was protective of us like <clears throat> because she didn't want them to say anything you know mm-hmm. and they didn't understand like our cousins mm-hmm. I remember we had this conversation with our cousins like a long time like when we all grew up and we started hanging out together and we were like y'all wasn't that nice to us like y'all was <laughs> me y'all was some mean kids and you would say things like you're not my blood and we were just so confused yeah and that's a taught and, behavior too. And like, so people don't understand too that. So it's called uh, like a non-protective bystander and it'll, it'll often happen. It's someone that is there and they, you know, they're not speaking up for you. And it has that same ramifications that you're talking about when you're like, you guys weren't really that nice. Right. And those people are like, well, I didn't really do anything. And it's like, well, exactly. you know, and then you have to do these checks and balances. And it's crazy. A lot of times in adopted um, situations, the adoptees we've been discussing with too, is that, that feeling of like you perpetuated that behavior and right. you not doing something made me feel a certain way about myself. Right? right. And then did you find you would get like adrenaline rushes when you were having negative connotations with your adoption or you slipped up or your mom was confronting you about telling people? Like, did yeah. You have, like, a physical it was response? like that one. Yeah. Like it was, it, it always felt provocative or so, you know, it felt scarier, but I always would toe the line, you know, and, and, um, and maybe bring it up like here and there, or like we said, we would talk about it with the kids on the street. And then somebody would come back and be like, yo, mama said you was adopted. Like, you know, like that kind of stuff, you know? So, like, no, no, yeah. no, it's between us, Benji. And I, I give you a ring pop and I told yeah. you a secret. And I remember um, this one particular time that like we oh were playing with these other people that lived on the street. I think they were the only other black family. And, um, his mom that we were talking about you know adoption and and i think like his mom must have gone back to my mom and told her like mm. oh so i didn't know they were adopted or whatever so it caught my mom on guard of course because you know yeah she's not really trying to talk about it like that so and, uh, so for our for our listeners just because i'm trying to understand this a little more i'm looking at my notes here um with regards to your brothers and sisters the five of you i know you you said devin was taken in later yeah. Um, what is like the ages of, you know, when you were adopted and your siblings and, and, you know, the biological niece and all that? Yeah. So I was adopted. I, I actually found out, interestingly enough, when I, I got that letter, what do they call that letter <laughs> that you can order from the state? Well, oh, you might, you're, you know, you're not, you're non, uh, non-identifying information. Yes. And it told, and it told me that I was adopted on my mom's birthday, which I, she never, which she never told me that. And for some reason it, it bothers like that she, that she didn't tell you. Yeah. Because I feel like it's like significant. And that would have been such a beautiful moment. Like you could have been a gift, right? What a, like, what a, what a fortuitous thing, like my adoption date, I found it out in passing, like what the date was. And I remember just being like, wait, like. I haven't been celebrating this date right. every year, right? Like, it's just like, cause, because of what non-adoptees do not understand is that we, we had names before we were oh, we, like, you, I know we, we had names before. And so the date that I became Claire Huntington was December 16th, 1987. I'm going to need to make a drink if we're going to go over this. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ooh, that's a whole, like, I know, so but like, I, right I, I hate to say like, <laughs> well, okay. I don't know it. So, but. But yeah. like we had we had names before and like and and then just like listening to your story um with with uh, in terms of like your family too one thing that we've been speaking now is at the point of podcasts where we need to talk to uh 
professionals. We, Chris and I joke that we're not therapists, but we've been through a lot of therapy, <laughs> right? But I, I found out that adoptees, and Chris, you'll have to let me know like our, your experience, but adoptees who went through difficult adoption processes are incredible at picking up micro expressions. Like, do you find that you can read people and when they're oh. mad at you or like a thought flickers across I their face, like, you off. know it? And you know it's, it immediately. Ah, man, it's so difficult. I'm so, so yeah. vigilant in that way. Uh, it's it's very hard. Yeah. And do you, do you find it's really hard for you to form relationships? Because one of the adoptees we spoke to said that with the micro expressions that she could see immediately when someone was displeased with her. But the thing that adoptees don't realize is that someone will get displeased with you within flickers of seconds, like throughout, you know, it's a check like plus and minuses in a relationship and the adoptee in a difficult adoptee situation, your immediate thought is, Oh my gosh, I've upset you. You're going to leave me. Oh, right? like, yeah. Do you find that that limits your ability to form attachments in relationships a bit like that ability to read people? I mean, that's probably another one of those things is my ability to attach or not attach. Um, really, I think, you know, secure attachments, we could go go on and on about them. But I think, you know, yes, as an adoptee, you're always, you're, your life started off with someone giving you away, you know, like, mm-hmm. that's just facts, whoever you are, whatever kind of adoptee you are. So that, it's something, there's something to that. And so it, you have to really, I think in order to be an adoptive parent, like you would have to spend a lot of time, like, telling a child mm-hmm. that I love yep. you like you don't you're it, whatever you do is not going to send you you know back whatever yeah. you do, yeah whatever and you I've, I've I've heard uh, like adopt adoptees talking about their adoptive parents using that as a threat like you better stay well, in line my mom yeah. never explicitly said it like that but she would say some stuff that like really hurtful mm-hmm. or she would mm-hmm she would do some things that were really questionable that mm-hmm. would, that was the undertone. Like maybe you may not have come out and said it, you know, but it was definitely that feeling. And some of it was probably my stuff too, you know, yep, just yep, 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 yep. as a kid. Well, and yep. it's crazy. Like you guys right now. So even here, like as I'm talking to you guys, I'm experiencing this feeling that every time I want to speak or say something, I like sit there and I can even see it on my face. I get nervous and I feel like I'm burdening you too, even though we're in this podcast to talk about adoption. So like with this conversation, I'm like, oh, I'm just bothering them. Right. And so that's like that, that view of like my personal feelings about myself are attributed to something that's so, you know, like so deep seated. But I think my, even my parents were very, because I think for my situation, we were obviously white people. They were, they were white and we were Asian. So I just remember, and this is just a testament to my parents, especially my mother, she always presented the idea of adoption and our birth parents giving us up as this very kind of like, it's not a negative thing, you know, like you should just know that, you know, it was either stay there and maybe not have a great life or live in poverty or whatever the situation may have been, or they just wanted the best for us. And so that was always something that I just grew up knowing deep down inside. And so, yeah, I never, I never had a, a negative feeling about that or looked at it as like, wow, someone gave me away, you know? Um, yeah, but I think it's hard to think of that in two ways, right? Yep, because else yep. the origins unknown. I mean, you guys, you don't know, like mm-hmm. there's always, there's an assumption that 
just because this person like the likelihood of them being underprivileged just because that's a lot of the reasons why kids get given away Mm -hmm. um that that you your life wouldn't have been as good or you know you got this this different opportunity but I just think it's a trade-off you know (laughs) like you get some over here and then you know over here like just checks and balances yeah yeah, (laughs) it's very you know it's hard in that way um I mean so just to answer your question I was adopted when I was uh three months old so Mm -hmm. um and then my brother was adopted I want to say he was um I think six months old so you're the oldest out of all the five no, 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 I'm not. Okay. Oh, you have an older brother. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. so Maisha and Eric are the same age. <clears throat> okay. Um, and uh, they're in their forties. And then, so they were kind of, my brother was adopted first. And then at the same time, oh, my parents it. took in my sister. So, got it. yeah. So then that was that. And they had already had Mark. Mark was, he's the oldest. And then, um, my mom, they adopted me after um, after Eric and Maisha had, you know, been there. Um, okay. So then Devin, Devin, the last one, is he younger than you? He is. He is. Okay. So you're the fourth, I guess. Yes. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. I'm just trying to, yeah. His story is a little bit different because, um, you know, I was in foster care and I spent those three months in foster care, which is always weird. I'm like, so you took care of me. Like, where are they at? I want to thank you. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I want to know so badly, like, who they are. But, um, yeah, so with that, you know, Devin actually was, like, a foster child. And then he was, like, in a group home. So he had a different oh, wow. life in that way. But we were, you know, directly adopted. And and my sister, she... um kind of the same thing like she was she came to live with my mom when she was like six months old so she she never knew another house whereas Devin kind of went back and forth and then he didn't Mm -hmm. actually come to stay permanently until he was in sixth grade so it was just a very different yeah flair was he was he in the house for like a little bit and then away he did so I remember he came to live with us when he was like maybe one years old and he stayed with us for some months and oh we just loved him so much and then he had to go back and it was How? so traumatic but for why? us why did he because his mom wanted him back at the time oh yeah, yeah that's a, something that we've been explaining to you to the non-adoptee community and I found out from some of my friends who've listened to the podcast as well um that you know a lot of times adoptive parents will have a bag at the back of the door and like ready to go on vacation because there's always that threat that you know and that fear even when it's not legally possible that the yeah. birth mom will come back right so that's right the fact that you say that was traumatic you know and you loved him and formed an attachment oh so then yeah what and happened then, from there he from so then what? he so then he had he went to go live with his mom and then um he was like in and out of foster care uh-huh. and um he eventually came uh, lived with my other auntie for a little bit and then he was like kind of too much to handle for her so then my parents ended up adopting him got it yeah but it was such a difficult thing because think about that my sister Maisha she was a really like the like a true adoption where she was adopted yeah. when she was a baby she lived with us we don't know each other mm-hmm. as, as anything else but siblings mm-hmm. whereas Devin he grew up 
like in and out of foster care. So he didn't quite have that same, like, I guess, brother, sister feel because he wasn't always there. Oh, so there was a he probably obviously, yeah, probably developed. It was very odd because yeah. my sister calls my parents mom and dad, but Devin was always sort of identified as our cousin and always. Oh, really? like, yeah, it was weird. Okay, wait. That's confusing. Yeah. So. How does that make you? How does that make you feel? Like Chris is. I can see Chris over there, and he's so good at like trying to write things down to remember stuff. It's one of his really thoughtful characteristics. So if people ever hear scratching and see Chris looking down, he's writing stuff down because he he thinks the important information so important wants to understand. But you as a child, like it's like playing double dutch. Like this is your brother. He's gone. He's your cousin now. Now he's your brother, and it and it's that feeling of like adoptees don't have a blood relationship understanding so here you're it's being shifted around so like how does that make did that make you feel like explaining that it was oh man it was it it made me feel so bad like it made me feel bad for my sister because we call she's my sister that's my you know and and but mm-hmm. my mom and I don't mean to hyper focus on that, but she would do things like make the distinction and that would be really hurtful to my sister. And so that would be really hurtful to me. So at, for a long time, I used to call in my cousin and then I was like, you know, that's my little brother. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. my she, would cor- she would correct. And that's, you? that's your sister's like, biological brother though, right? That is her biological brother. Well, that's but because he never really grew up with yeah. us like that. It just was kind of weird. And so he would call her, you know, aunt and then, my my sister is calling her mom so there's all these different dynamics going on and it's a hierarchy know? it's almost like and then, so, then, and then like, not yeah. let's not even get into the fact that my dad had a biological kid so that always you know gives a, a nice little flair in there before all the five yeah so well so mark my eldest brother is oh. my dad's oh dad's right that's right that's right that's first right. child Got from his first marriage so with Mark, like he was, you know, the, just him being biological and then us, and then Maisha was in her way and then Devin was in his way, but then me and Eric weren't. So it just got really, it was a lot of dynamics going on and a lot of feelings that never really got talked about. Was there a hierarchy? Uh, As a child, were you able to recognize, like how early on could you recognize that hierarchy? Like when were you kind of aware of that distinction between the siblings? Um, pretty, pretty early on. Like I, and I don't know if this is my own stuff, but like Mark, you know, was he special because he was like the biological one. And plus he's also the child. So then he's up here. And then Maisha, here's the thing about Maisha and Eric. Technically they were kind of raised as twins because Mm -hmm. they were, they're the same exact age so they grew up and they went yeah and they went to school together you know like all through school together in the same classrooms and stuff like that so people would be like "Mm, y'all don't look alike like (laughs) 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 why do people have to like put people into boxes yeah that's one thing that i'm noticing like it's but like, okay. it, it, it helps people just process things, unfortunately. Just as human beings, we're being bombarded with so much information mm-hmm. every second that we have to kind of classify things in our brains just to help us remember things, um, correlate things between things. I mean, it, it's it's natural, but 
unfortunately like it is for me looking like someone was so scary to me like I never knew what it would be like to look like someone until I had my son and even now I struggle with it so much so wait that was scary for you just the idea Wow, like, that's, that's the first face. time. That's back. the first time I've ever heard that. Oh, it was so scary for me. I was like, "What is that going to be like? Someone to look like me, like exactly like me?" You know, because my, and, even though, yeah. like, like I said, my dad's darker skin. We have like kind of the same complexion. My mom is like very fair, and she don't look. You know, no. <laughs> you ain't fooling nobody so you know it's just one of those things that growing up I just always like well, what do they look like and mm-hmm. um you know and I don't know if there's a part two that's like when I found my adopt by like my biological family and they look at we look exactly alike and it I was like oh, oh we need gosh. to yeah we need to uncover that that's like oh another I was like so because Jonah my son he doesn't I don't know. People say he looks like me, but I feel like, do I have like some kind of blinders on because I've adopted <laughs> and I just, it's so hard. Like I'll look at him sometimes and I'll be like, yeah, you look like me. Yeah. <laughs> but like um, manner- mannerisms and stuff, like I'm guessing. No, definitely. Yeah. He's yeah. my child. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the last yeah. episode, it's really funny that you say that. Um, I didn't feel like I had that feeling, Chris, because we before we talked to the psychic, I had thought, I'm like, I'd be so excited to see someone who looks like me. But in the psychic episode, here we thought it was just going to be like this fun, like uplifting, you know, reading. And it was. But then she literally gave me a name. Mm-hmm. She gave me a, a first name and a last name and a location. So, of course, being an adoptee, I Googled. Oh, she's been texting so me photos like, of random people. What do you think? What do you think? Do you see it? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But here's the thing. Yeah. There's so wait, tell me again. You don't know. You, you don't or you haven't found your biological. I know nothing. I didn't even know what time, what city or anything. So I found that out on episode three when I've been feeling like Dana, just like Google and find side by sides. But there was one that all of a sudden it was super weird. She had like my face, like down to like, you know, the. It was pretty similar. Yeah. Like, like the, you know, like the things like crooked smile or like how your eye does a thing or, you know, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I put side by side and I was like, is it, and it freaked me out. I've never seen someone who, who looks like me rather than me being like, I used to try to force them. Like I look exactly like my brother and, and I do look like my family in that I'm a composite of, of my parents. You know, I have like similar features and similar features to my, like our coloring is all the same, like ash hair, Mm -hmm. but we're very different, but it's like, people are like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, and I get the, t- the, I don't know if you get this, but you don't look adopted. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've gotten that. People, what? I never even knew you. You don't look adopted. I'm like, what is Maybe that that's the like? title of this episode. He don't, <laughs> don't look adopted. Yeah, like what does that even look like? I, yeah. So Nicole, with the fear of, you mentioned of like seeing someone that looks like you or having the same genetics, was despite the fear, was there still this desire to obviously search? I mean, I think all adoptees burning, burning. I just remember thinking about it all these different times in my life Mm -hmm. with also, you know, the, the feeling that it's going to hurt somebody, you know what I mean? That's that it's going to derail someone like, because I I'll never forget this. And I don't, I do know I called when I, I started this at different parts of my life because I dated someone who was an adoptee and I was like, Mm. Oh, this thing like I'd never connected with someone other adoptees before and when you start connecting with other adoptees 
it's a different feel. Like we can vibe. Like, I don't even know y'all. We could sit here and we could super vibe off of that because it's just a commonality that we all have. Mm -hmm. And I had never realized how important that was. And so when I dated that person, he was like, well, you should try to like, you know, figure this out. And I'm like, okay. And <laughs> my mom, I remember- uh, That's the adoptee conformist to relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we haven't touched upon this, but adoptees, because we spend like we spend our lives conforming into a family, it's yeah. really hard to not when you're in a relationship. A lot of adoptees, and I'm guilty of this myself, you'll just take on their full personality oh, and their interests. So you're like, yeah, like I totally want to find them. Like, yeah, exactly. When I probably in hindsight wasn't ready, and I, and so my mom had always told me, you know, throughout the years, like like a patchwork story, like oh, you know, she was 16. She was um, from the Virgin Islands, like, um, which wasn't true, by the way. Um, you know, that that whole, oh, they loved you so much, they gave you up, and it was just like that package, like, real nicely, you know? Mm -hmm. And she said, if you ever want, you know, she had her feelings about us finding out about it, but I do remember her saying, there's a letter in my drawer um, if you ever want to read it. And it was... Um, that the non-identifying information letter, whatever. And I remember um, in my 20s, I was having a lot of like, like just stuff coming up and I, like mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. And so I was like, let me figure this out. It was like, I was 20, maybe 23, 24. It was first, my first introduction even into therapy. Like I was depressed. And so all these things were coming up and I'm like, I need to look into this adoption stuff. <laughs> so I found that letter. And, and I contacted the Orange County, like I was in Orange County yeah. Social Services, I contacted one of the social workers. And I'll never forget that person told me, and they're like, <clears throat> you do this, and you need to understand that you're opening Pandora's box, and you can't undo it. Yeah, you can't close and that And that scared me. When mm -hmm. I was like in my twenties, I'm like, what's that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. You're good. It was like, I'm not going down that road. I don't know what's in that box. I don't want to do it. And then I've, you know, I feel like it comes up every day in some way or another. Like, not that I'm consciously thinking of it, but just that it's there. Mm -hmm. And so um, I didn't even start picking it up again until... Like I had wondered here and there, like I, I did, you know, a little bit of work around it, but never like really, really like I'm going to do this, you know? And then when I got into a relationship, I dated a psychotherapist. That was fun. Um, <laughs> that's actually, I hate to say it. That's also another, <laughs> through my therapy, that's another adoptees are very very attracted to mental health professionals to date and so. i'm also or becoming yeah or yeah we need we need yeah we need to talk about that but yeah we i mean unpack that yeah <laughs> but i but you, what you're saying is is uh, you know it's this idea of path of least resistance is that it's it's yeah. easier and it's i've been told the same thing you're opening a door and ignorance yeah. is bliss and just be okay with anything you find and then i'm like well do i want to know now because I feel pretty good right now, but then you don't realize that even as older, as we get older, it's like, no, I'm not fine. You know? Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. And yeah. all this is like, you're not okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the type of the episode. You're not okay. You're, you're not, not okay. okay. That being an adoptee mm -hmm. 
affects how you move in this world and how you connect to people. And even as a mother, like that's a whole different path. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about looking like someone and sometimes I'll just stare at my son like, yo, like this is so. It's crazy. It's, 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 It's so powerful because I don't, this is the beginning of that for me, you know, because I was, I don't know who birthed me before, you know, I don't know what the birthing experience, nobody (laughs) there to tell me. What a word. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just said that with such gusto and it stressed me out. Like, and the whole concept of pregnancy freaked me out. And so what issues did you find when you're becoming a mother? Like, how did that affect or what did that open up for you as an adoptee? Uh, Nothing will trigger you like a child. Especially, I think, (laughs) I, especially, I think as an adoptee, because, Mm -hmm. um, we're connected in a different way. And so like, he's mine, Mm -hmm. you know, like he came from my womb. Like, it's like, it's so. It's profound. It is. And it's something that I didn't think about as much before, because as an adoptee, you don't have that you know, that, that connection has been severed. So you don't, I don't necessarily think about, um, I know for me personally, I don't think about like my biological mom, like carrying me in her stomach mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. really kicking. I do. I, yeah. See, I never really thought about that stuff, but when I, when I was pregnant and when I became a mom, I was like, wow. And then it, and then it was even more like, how can you give up a child? Yeah. How can you yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's oh like, my God. I that's couldn't the, even imagine like you know, gestating I, a tiny soul and then giving it away. Like you invest literally nine months yeah, to right. creating something. And it, it's a, it is like, we have, we do need to talk about that. We don't often revere birth mothers for that. You know, they're, we're not going to yeah. get into the political ramifications or this discussion, but there are other options. So for this person to carry you for that nine months, I always wondered, didn't, did you ever like think about maybe not going through the adoption. And then I was in, I was like, I was a month adopted a month, I think six weeks after my date. So there's a thought in my head. I'm like, did you have me for a month and a half and then give me up? Like, I don't know where I was for those, that period of time. And that to me, like just thinking about being a woman and seeing my friends get pregnant and stuff, like I feel really awkward around babies. And you know, like, like holding it, you're like, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a funny point because I feel the same way about babies. Like when you hold a newborn, I just feel like, oh, there's that soft spot, self-destruction button on their head. And like, it's all weird. And like, they're so helpless. And you're like, giraffes have to withstand a six foot drop at birth. Like babies yeah. are so, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. And humans are so fragile. But, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to have my brothers growing up because I'm a triplet, but I do have to say touch upon what you said when you saw your own your own son that like I have brothers and sisters that I grew up with and they're step siblings or whatever you want to call them but Mm -hmm. I never viewed them like that and so they've all had kids and and I have nieces and nephews and I love them and I would do anything for them but when my triplet brother Justin had his son and I held him you as an adoptee it's you can't it's, it's it's yeah you can't it's yeah. not that i don't love my nieces and nephews for my brothers and sisters there's nothing it's not it's not about that yeah. it's just seeing your genetics in, that's it that's yeah. it well, and, and chris chris is an identical triplet and so I mean, yeah so basically attacked. i'm feeling like if i had a kid 
this is what the kid would well, kind of pretty much look like, you know? And and if, and if I'm wrong about this internet, please don't at me. I'm doing my best with what I know. But I think actually, Chris, as an identical triplet, knowing what I know from my friend who's an identical twin, your children would be half siblings with your, like genetically would be half siblings oh, yeah. with your brother's kids. Mm-hmm. So if that makes sense, because it's like yeah. the same, because yeah. you have the same genetics. So that essentially, it that would be <laughs> what your child would look like if you had married there's this idea, like there's two things, right? Like being an adoptee and wanting to find your adoptive family or your biological family um, for really like deep reasons. And then there's other reasons like, Superficial I just, I'm just yeah. curious. Like, yeah. I just want to see like what that looks like. like Eyes, see, hair, mannerisms, yeah, exactly. like all that stuff. Yeah. Like, so when I like, finally yeah. saw a picture of my biological mother, <gasps> it was like, oh. Yeah, so walk us through the birth parent search. Ooh. Like, Ooh. how old were you? When did you start this? What sparked it? Because it's always different for everyone. So when I started it, like like I said, maybe in my, in my 20s, like I got it kind of brewing and I it was swirling about and I wanted to do it, but I didn't know where to start. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that I couldn't just go and ask my my adoptive mother, like, do which you have should be where you go. Yeah, exactly. Like, do you have information? And I was very hesitant to bring it up. And um, at one point, I believe my brother, my brother had some girlfriend, and she bought him like an adoption book, like about finding your parents. And uh-huh. my mom found it, and she like blew her top. So it was. We just knew that it was like something that she couldn't handle. That's so yeah. wholesome. It, <laughs> Like, like best. I don't know these ever. books exist. Like Claire was, Claire was saying that. Oh, my parents gave me a book about what is adopt. I never got any of those books. It was all no, just like face to face. Yeah, yeah. Chris, you could. I don't think you would resonate from a book. I feel like so. Chris is very like in your face, confrontational. Like I, if I someone it. gave you a book, you'd be like, no. Yeah. Tell me like, what's in no, this book. I, I don't need this book to tell me. I need you to tell you me. You to tell yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I kind of wavered back and forth, and then, like I said, I was dating. A therapist who, I mean, not like a regular therapist, like a straight up psychoanalytic psychotherapist. And so that's the one who get all up in your childhood. (laughs) Would he ask you questions like just kind of knee jerk reaction of what he does normally? Like would he? I mean, I think it just was his spirit by nature. It was like he couldn't turn it off. And that's fun. I mean, it was helpful, you know, for what I needed at, at the time. But it was like, so I would say um, how, it wasn't even that long ago. It was probably maybe four years ago I like really started it. So okay. Okay. I was watching that. Um, what's that show? There's a show like where they find the, the uh, is it like birth, not birth finder, but it used to be, I think it was on PLC or something like that. So yeah. I saw this episode with Evelyn Lozado, you know, uh, the ex Chato Chosinko's ex-wife. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. She's on ballers or something like that. Uh, <laughs> basketball wise that her so she had an episode with this uh private investigator who he um he like helped her find i want to say her biological grandfather um that's a weird jump yeah so he helped find that person let me look him up like something just struck in me I'm like let me see what this guy does and I saw that he had a company called Birthfinder. so I find I go um you know I call him up and I'm like this is you know 
this is my what I need. And and Jay, his name is Jay. He has like a like a crazy last name too. I, I yeah, I'll look up his last name. So his name is Jay. And Jay, Jay the private name. private investigator was like a world renowned private investigator. Whoa. Okay. So I'm like, dude, I can't afford this. I'm not going to be able to afford this. And he, I mean, the universe is powerful because he. This is his calling. It is his calling oh. in life to help adoptees find their biological families. And so he did it for me for a very nominal fee. And um, wow. he was very happy to help me. And the thing about my adoption is I knew that my biological mom wasn't American. And um, Chris, you may be able to relate to this, that it makes it a little bit harder um, when people are coming from like third world countries because the records are all funky and it's just not the same. So it a was, lot of them, a lot knew, of them are forged, you know, a lot of these yeah. documents are just fake or they, they <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. I mean, that was yeah, yeah, it's going. deep. Okay. So my boyfriend in high school, it was an adoptee as well. And he was like older and like finding his parents. But I found out through him with Saskatchewan, they could write a letter and they would write a letter to tell the kids, well, like what, like you have a grandfather, this is what's in our, you know, but I found out that a lot hit, like a lot of times they were instructed that this was going to also be put towards if your kid was going to be adopted. So they would lie. Mm-hmm. They would lie on that too, the birth mother to give the kid the best chance or to misdirect the information. So they wouldn't put any like health records or they'd be like, we loved each other very much, but couldn't afford you not, you know. That type of thing. But we are so lucky as a domestic adoptees. And that's one thing that we don't even think about in terms of, you know, there was always that option for me that I could just go to the government, mm-hmm. right? And be like, what's yeah. my story? And so for you guys, for me, it breaks my heart that Chris has information that he doesn't know that's true, that he has to go back and find yeah. that. Yeah. But this, it's- so what did, you, what, did Jay, what did Jay do with finding this information because like you said all the documents you don't know what's real and what's not jay um like i said he was a renowned private investigator he told me a a story about how he went to like guatemala guatemala and like found like a kidnapped like kid like he's like one of those wow and so he knew what he was doing he um (laughs) he knew what he was doing he was like there's a very good chance that i will find them so you better be ready Wow. Like, okay, I need, go. I need to meet Jay. <laughs> oh my God. Jay is legit. Let me tell you. So okay, we'll, we'll we talk. had a series of conversations. Jay, yeah. He had access to the birth index. Okay. What's so that? the birth index is, is from my understanding, and I don't know exactly what it is, but the birth <laughs> index is, is, it's not a birth certificate, but it's basically like records that hospitals have that can tell you like when a baby was born and like what their last name was at the time. Hmm. So is that international? Um, I'm not sure because I was actually born in Hawaiian gardens, like right um, by Long oh. Beach. Yeah. So I was actually born in the United States. So he had to the birth index and he was able to find this information. And so he found my last, my uh, biological mother's last name. <clears throat> So we had that and we knew like about how old she was and that she was like in around like the Long Beach, LA area. So he started, you know, with some, with some leads 
And um, going back to what you had said earlier, like looking at people, you know, seeing pictures of people who may look, you know, look like you. And he would send me like, he's like, well, you know, this could be her, the timeline matches up, like I'm calling people. And I remember seeing a picture of a lady and I'm like, wanting her to look like me you know and <laughs> yeah. then again it's really hard because you're like well i mean she's black like <laughs> i don't look like i guess you know but i'm like i don't know you know and and she kind of had like a big nose like mine like um and so i was like well maybe and then we kind of reached out to some people and, and that was a dead end and so that's hard you know that's a part that they don't tell you about um mm-hmm. as an adoptee because you no, it's just the roller coaster yeah it's very emotional so the time from when we first started the journey. And so he's like, you know, um, I hadn't at the time I hadn't gotten my letter yet. So there, I didn't get like those finite details. So they, we were just going off a whim, like just to the stuff I remember and just, yeah. So that he knew. So you hadn't found the letter in the drawer yet is what you're referencing. Oh, so I I, I didn't have it in my hand. So I Mm -hmm. had to order that letter again from Sacramento and that. So you didn't keep it. Did you secretly look at that letter? Did you like, did you sneak it? You looked at it, put it back, made like, and things were like etched in my brain, you know, like of what it was. Like I like, like little things like, um, she, her, her father was an engineer. Like he, you know, she just like little different things that I picked up from there. But I, like, I just hurried up, read it, put it back. Um, and I didn't look at it again. And then I ordered it from Sacramento. So, but that didn't come until way later. Hmm. So with Jay. Does that cost you money to do that? Mm, no, it doesn't. I mean, I think it's a, the right of every adoptee to get. Yeah. To, to I think you just request. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, so Jay's like, you know, I, you really need to take a DNA test that has been beautiful tool for adoptees. Um, you know, and people have their own feelings about around it, you know, like it's government still in our DNA, you know, like mm. a bunch of stuff. But for an for someone who knows nothing about nothing, it's like it's a start. Yep. So um I took the DNA test. And when I got my, um ancestry. Okay. So I took the DNA test. And in the midst of that, he was still kind of looking and saying, Well, like at least we know this, know that what her last name is and there's only so many brackets that live. That's um, her maiden name. There's only so many brackets that live, you know, in that area and stuff like that. And so I got my, once I got my DNA test back, I mean, Jay had found her within 24 hours. Like, like yeah, it was, he did his thing. Like, like I came, so I, it, I got a second cousin. Okay. Okay. I had a match for a second cousin. And I didn't know, like I, when, before my mom or they had said, oh, your family's from the Virgin Islands. And that was what was written in the letter. So somebody wrote that with the knowledge that wasn't true. Got okay. So when um, your, when your adoptive mom told you that that was purely, she wasn't trying to deceive you. She just, that's what she was told. That was what it was written okay. in this yep, yep, yep. Yeah, she okay. didn't okay. know. Okay. Um, and then when I got my DNA results back and I'm like, oh, Caribbean, I was like, you know, like. But like straight up Belizean, you know, mm-hmm. like, wait, these people, like, they're like straight Belizean. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting. So the one, the person who I matched with, 
um, you know, I told I told Jay and Jay's like did his thing. I don't even know because she had a different name as well. Mm. And then um, he, I think it was. Oh, I matched with this uh, two two people. One of them was both of them were second cousins, and the one the first one that I matched with her name was Jennifer. She um he contacted her or he tried to call her he couldn't get in touch with her and he found then he found her dad so when he found yeah so when he found her dad um he's like you know I talked to Leonard and he you know he he doesn't know very much and um you know this is um I think this is I think this might be your mom you know and so I was like um so I in the midst of that the girl who I matched with her cousin I looked her up I knew her last name was Brackett I looked her up on Facebook and as all adoptees do yeah and lo and behold I had a I was a mutual I had a mutual friend with my biological cousin Go Facebook. On Facebook. Chris and I, so, and Chris is like, used to kind of have a hate on for Facebook. And Facebook here's can the help best you part about it is that they lived in San Francisco. What? And so it's just to the universe is to, I mean, and I've heard stuff like this before. Like I never thought it would happen to me. Like just how, it all clicks together like how- the timing it's the timing you yeah. know and then because- just, just just even how you hear from some adoptees that oh i was living down the street from like my biological like dad or something like that you i know? just so heard that literally mm-hmm. my my biological cousin like she was like a prominent figure in the neighborhood that I worked in. So she was well known. So I called her one day and, um, well, I, I inboxed. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's like, you know, Oh my God, like this is so crazy because initially I thought that she was my sister. So we couldn't quite figure it all out. Like, you know, I don't know enough about DNA. Like it's weird because sometimes people could be like your half sibling or sometimes Mm -hmm. they could be your cousin. It's weird. So, we, I didn't know. And I was like, well, do you think you could be my sister? And so she starts kind of telling me, well, you know, here's the thing about Belize or Belizeans. And this is that disconnect, right? Because mm. culturally, that's not my culture. So I don't. And she's like, girl, people adopt kids and give away kids and kids be gone. And nobody really, you know, so I have no idea who your mom or your dad is. Okay. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, so... She, but she was like, I'm going to kind of um, check. And she's like, I, I remember a cousin or, or something that may have been like, I, I remember hearing something about something, but I'm not sure. So in that like couple of days, like in that kind of couple of days, Jay was able to narrow down who it was. He found out that my, that who my biological mother was. And, wow. um, and like kind of, um concurrent with that I was I was also talking to the other cousin that I had you know that I had connected mm-hmm. with via ancestry and so um Jake I remember I remember so distinctly like he was like oh I think this is who it may be so then of course I start looking up on Facebook and I'm like and the first person that I found was my my auntie like my <gasps> biological aunt and 
we look so much alike. Like, so she's gorgeous. So she, uh, <laughs> she's absolutely stunning. And I also didn't know, um, like when I found her, she has like an open Instagram. So I started following her. Oh, wow. You know, you know what I mean? Like all weird. Well, that's not weird. That's it's not, not weird. Do other it's, no. like that. <laughs> <Yes>. it's normal. <laughs> um, I, okay, so I'm going to admit it? something. Before, it's acceptable creepiness. It's okay, acceptable okay. creepiness. <laughs> Chris, Chris, that photo I sent you was, yeah. was you guys, this is embarrassing. It was from a LinkedIn Oh. <laughs> Look, I, hey, I, I, this is yeah. No, this is one of the this is one of the, the I think the positive sides of social media, you know. Um, but he called her for you. He did. That's he's so a nice. Very, he's a good. I need Jay in my life. I need Jay yeah, in my he life. He does that. Like he's a I'm very scared, good I'm scared liaison. to meet Jay. <laughs> it will get it done. He's a very good liaison. And I'll be sitting like this with Jay. He was like, um, again, I'll never forget this phone call. Cause Jay like held space for my tears. Cause I was like, I'm uh. and he had called me and, and I, of course I'm like, well, what did she say? You know, what's going to happen? And she did not want anything to do with me. Mm. It, it was much like she, cause at first I think Jay is really, he, um he does these a lot. So he kind of knows how to talk to folks and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So he just goes from the angle. Look, I have this person who's looking for you they have some, they really want to know their medical information. It's really important oh. for, to them. And so it takes the edge off, I think, a little bit to come from that pressure. angle. For sure. Yeah. So he was just tell them, like, they don't want anything else. They just want to basically corroborate, like, that mm -hmm. you are there. And she kind of, like, was like, okay, but I never want to hear about this or talk about this again. Mm -hmm. So... Of course, I was crushed. You know, I was yeah. like, you know, but, dang. So but this this goes back to that opening that door, you know, that's like, yeah. but well, yeah, yeah. And and here's the thing. It was in hindsight, I I understand like why it was so um, painful for it, her. It, yeah, it's revisiting that, you know, yeah. like I think people don't realize also, I think personally, and you guys can tell me how you guys feel about this, but I, I feel that for the birth mother, it's almost worse because- Oh, absolutely. They, it's the memories. We have no memories. We have no uh, pictures in our head, you know? And with these birth mothers, that's something that they live with forever, you know? So. And also the stigma. So in the adoption story too, like just as much as adoptive moms are revered and put on this pedestal, I think birth moms are also, you know, even some of the language we use, we're like, how could you give me away? Mm -hmm. And yeah. we're not, you know, we're, we're also giving that, you know, stigma to them as well. Right. And a lot of these people we talk about, we have to repress and we have to do stuff. I guarantee there was no like, oh, you're giving up a baby for adoption. Let's give you some extensive therapy. Right. right. They had to repress it too. And a lot of times they wouldn't tell their new partner. They've rebuilt this life. Like they have to probably on that day, our birthdays, like, repress it and and think about it and then like not tell anyone else so then we come and now we're there this like the dirty little secret and we're like hi and they're like no i didn't tell anyone about you and and like, that's exactly can't. what but it was like no one knew no one but knew. isn't that the irony i think of the situation is that both sides feel shame you know and yes. it's it's that's you know with yeah, with Korea, it, it, not only yeah, not only yeah. with the with the shame that the birth mothers feel. I think all 
not all, but like majority of mothers that give away babies is this shame. But with Korea specifically, the whole government lives in shame and they've done things yeah. to try to correct that and maybe try to make amends, but you know, it's on both sides, you know, and then how do, how yeah. do we bridge that gap? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so Jay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Jay, shame. Jay found your birth mother and then she, did she give you, give him information with medical records and stuff? Um, she just gave him like some pretty generic information. I mean, okay. it wasn't a lot. What really kind of started to unfold the whole thing was this cousin, this other cousin, mm-hmm. and her name is Joy. And Joy, I said I wrote her, um, I inboxed her Facebook, and I just kind of told her my blurb, like I always had it, like copy and paste it because I like put it to like <laughs> yeah, a bunch yeah. of people. You do it so much. And oh, we we all do it. I think we all have a copy and paste thing. <laughs> like, I know. exactly because I'm like, come on now. <laughs> yeah, so I, I sent her this whole like you know diatribe, like oh, my name is Nicole, like I'm gonna have to, you know, like, and she was like, I can't wait to talk to you. And I was <gasps> like, ooh, right, like it gave me a pain. I was like, oh my, like what does she know, right? Oh, I, I had no idea what I was about to step into, um, because I knew that um just in that little bit i knew enough to know that no one really knew about me so or like as far as their family went and so it was like i knew that it was going to be a lot so i was like prepare myself for this this story right thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode of origins unknown podcast for part two of nicole's story make sure to tune in next week Also, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon for exclusive access to bonus episodes and early releases of episodes. We will also have access to discounts on future upcoming Adopted AF merch. Thanks! If you'd like to connect with us on Instagram or TikTok, you can find us at Origins Unknown Podcast. You can follow my co-host at Beyond the Tats. You can find me at Seabear Huntington. We're also on Twitter. Follow us at O Unknown Podcast. If you'd like to visit our website, it's originsunknownpodcast.com. Also, if you'd like to send us questions, uh, share your story, or even just say hi, you can send us an email at hello at originsunknownpodcast.com. Special thanks to Pace Randolph for writing, performing, and producing the audio for our podcast. Follow him on Spotify for more wonderful music. I think I walked the long way home now for just pick me up and hold me close when things get rough and you're